Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans, reporting for ConnectingVets.com. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs, and today we're talking about one of the greatest Vietnam stories ever told. It's the story of John Chick Donahue and his epic trip to Vietnam, all to bring his buddies a beer. Donahue's incredible true story has been made not only into a book called The Greatest Beer Run Ever, but it was picked up for a feature film, which is streaming on Apple TV+, and it stars Zac Efron, Russell Crowe, and Bill Murray. Now, like all war movies that care enough to get it right, behind the scenes are some seasoned military tech advisors who've been through real wars. Today, we'll go behind the scenes of the greatest beer run ever with military tech advisor and former Special Forces officer, Colonel Hans Busch. Colonel, how are you? Well, I'm doing good. And how are you? Good. So glad to have you on the show. And uh, just can't wait to dive into this because I got to say that John Chickie Donahue was one of my favorite interviews of all time. The story of the greatest beer run ever now made into a film, which is streaming on Apple TV Plus. Probably one of the best stories I've ever heard about war. I mean, just so colorful and crazy all at the same time. And before we even jump into that, As I started to read your bio as a military tech advisor on the film, I was like, wow, let's run through the cliff notes first about your career as a special forces officer. Okay. After I had served long enough to try out for special forces, I did, because that had been my my dream. That's the reason I joined the Army. Fantastic 30-year career, traveled the world, spent most 
of after 9-11 in either Iraq or Afghanistan or North Africa. I saw that, uh, let me say, as I read through the cliff notes, you deployed with an ODA to Panama? Yeah, my very first mission. Uh, all through the Q course, or Special Forces Qualification course, they were telling us, you're going to graduate and go right at it. And I thought that was something every instructor said. And I graduated, reported to 7th Group, and went uh, right into Panama for Operation Just Cause and then promote liberty. Now, refresh my memory with Just Cause. Was that the one where we were trying to get Noriega? Was it out of office and we had to sort of take an airfield? And We had to take pretty much everywhere we had a military installation. So it went all the way from the Canal Zone all the way to Costa Rica. Little detail about that mission, can I ask? Is it true that they blasted like metal music and Ozzy Osbourne or like crazy rock and roll music at his house well, to try to flush him out? That is that is true. But I infilled into uh, the airport. We got in land cruisers and went straight to Rio Auto and then worked our way through the interior. So it wasn't part of that particular mission. Our mission was uh, to make sure that the cartel, that the, the garrisons all got the word that uh, Noriega wasn't going to be in power anymore. <laughs> yeah. and, then I, and then we moved in with those guys and lived in their barracks and held the keys to the armory until uh, we got it all sorted out. So cool. Just one of the many chapters that Special Operations Command writes in global history, and oftentimes these stories really go untold. So uh appreciate everything you did there. And uh, should be noted also, as I read through your bio, you were a public affairs officer there, uh, chief of that for Joint Special Operations Command and SOCOM in Tampa. Is it an easy gig being a public affairs officer for Special Operations Command in that, like, you can't really talk about much of what you do? So here's the funny thing. As a special forces officer, any army officer has what's called a functional area. And when the time came for mine to be appointed, uh, I was selected for public affairs because of what I studied in college. And you're right. It's, it's about the two most uh, opposite skills you could, you could develop. Everything we did was fact. Sooner or later, it was going to be public knowledge. And how it went into public knowledge had to be correct. And that was my function. Right on. And the devil is in the details. And as we've learned over, gosh, the last 20 years of GWAT, not to mention the years leading up to it, um, we are connected on this planet. And there are things going on in all countries, all corners of the world that, uh, you know, we're involved with trying to fight for right. And appreciate everything you did there. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how you got to be a military technical advisor for films, because while you were on the business end, there working as a special operation, uh, working as a special forces officer. I can't imagine that relates directly to knowing camera angles or knowing three shot sequence or how that all gets put together in making of a film. How did you go from, you know, special forces to filmmaking? Well, as I mentioned earlier, my undergrad degree was in TV and movie production. So I had a little bit of a heads up there and I was actually the director of public affairs at Special Operations Command, and Peter Berg was was trying to get a production agreement uh, with DOD and our command to make the movie Lone Survivor. So I had to receive him at the headquarters, took the took the briefings, and then it was all presented to my commander, and he said, "We're going to support this, but I'm going to assign an active duty guy to help you get it accurate." And then he looked at me and he said, "That'll be you, Hans." <laughs> <laughs> And that was and that was uh, my project with, with Peter. 
we spent a couple of years remotely coordinating. Uh, and then I actually took him into Iraq and went on some missions with him with some SEALs in Western Iraq so that he could really, really get the vibe of who the SEALs are and how they operate. After that, I stayed good friends with Harry Humphreys. He and his wife, Catherine, run a probably one of the, the biggest companies that do military advising uh, as a company. And we became friends. We stayed friends. He said, when you retire, I'm going to call you. And I thought, well, you know, that's just the polite thing people say. I retired on a Friday. He called me that night and asked me if I could be in New Orleans on Monday and uh, meet with Tom Cruise and work on the next Jack Reacher movie. And then I was off and running. Wow. That's fascinating. And uh, so much for the, you know, three months of doing nothing but playing golf when you first get out. Um, Way to stay busy, Hans. Before we jump into the movie again real quick, do you think as a whole Hollywood or the film production companies trying to make good stories, trying to make good movies about war, about our troops, um, do you think the attention to detail is getting better in this last 20 years, like more than just the ranks and the badges? But, I mean, are they getting the storytelling right? Well, whenever uh, whenever a studio decides they're going to do a picture and and soldiers are – any of the main characters, and it's a military-themed story, uh, that's where we come in. And the studios that want to get it right hire companies like ours, and they bring us in, and we uh, we work all the way through pre-production and the production, and then uh, we do follow-up stuff in post-production. I would say I've not been on a bad movie yet, and I've been blessed and very fortunate. I've worked with some of the greatest folks uh, that put these stories together. Peter was fantastic. He, he ignited a passion in me. But in this most recent project, uh, getting to work with another Peter, Peter Ferrelli and Brian Cullen and Pete Jones and uh, Andy Moscone, those guys had a passion to get this right. They'd never done a military movie. They were just coming off um, big Oscar wins with the Green Book. And uh, they reached out to my company and my company reached out to me and we were off and running. We shot for five months in Thailand last fall. And there was a passion across all the departments to get it right and Mm. if you see the show and i hope you do or if you haven't seen it yet i hope you see it uh it's a period piece it's a story of real soldiers in 1967 in vietnam and every little detail was considered streets were cleared period correct cars were put up thai signs were taken down vietnamese signs were put up uniforms were spot on uh Archive photos were matched almost exactly. In fact, you'll see one in the in the closing credits of the actual guys, and then the guys that we had play them in the movie. And uh, it was just a it was just a pure joy. Yeah, yeah. In fact, from what I've seen, it really, really does translate well to my original interview with Mr. Donahue, who, of course, is the author of the story and uh, you know the lead character, the guy that was crazy enough to try to bring his friends beer in Vietnam. Um, as we dive into the kind of nuances of this film, share with me real quick so we can kind of catch the listeners up. Uh, how would you describe the plot of the film? Well, this is a close-knit group of buddies in Inwood, New York, that grew up together. Uh, they become young men together. Chicky was a couple of years older than most of his buddies. He'd already served in the Marine Corps. That's why he wasn't drafted when everyone else was. But he was in the Merchant Marines. And uh, they were at their local their local bar. And uh, the owner, who was a World War II vet, uh, played by Bill Murray, was watching the news with those guys. And the news was being very 
very negative and, and kind of cruel about the soldiers and their behavior. And that got him fired up. And he said, you know what? We, we ought to make sure these guys know that's not how everybody feels. Somebody ought to go over there and tell them we're still behind. And that's, that's how the story launched. Uh, and of course, Chicky used his credentials as a merchant Marine to get the Saigon. And then from there, it was just an amazing story of counting his way all over the country and finding his buddies. Yeah. And just to kind of take a pause there, can you imagine that happening during the GWAT era where like, there's got to be paperwork and digital IDs scanned. Uh, this guy literally was able to just talk his way from the merchant Marine ship that he knew so much about because of his career was able to talk his way through all these different camps and all these LZs and uh just literally do it just by hook and crook and a smile. And that could never happen today. I mean, do you think there's any chance I could have ever brought my buddy's beers over to Baghdad? I, my instinct is to say no, but I will tell you after, after three tours in Afghanistan and two tours in Iraq, uh, you see some pretty, pretty amazing stuff and some high energy folks that are, uh, looking to be in the middle of an adventure. Most of them, independent journalists, found ways to travel that weren't necessarily embedded. And, uh, yeah, they did pop up. But I think Chicky had a big advantage. No no cell phones, no Internet, not much uh, commercial satellite stuff going on. So it was, it was an army that was still using radios, talking on phones, and writing things down. And yeah. he... He navigated all that like a master. The greatest beer run ever is the film we're talking about. Um, let me see. What do I want to start? When I, you know, when I first talked to Chicky Donahue about this, um, you know, he said that his first thing was to go to uh, the assembly hall there where the merchant Marines are looking at and bidding for jobs. And he puts his card up to take this uh, ship over to uh, the Vietnam area, uh, most likely delivering ammo, among other things. And, uh, you know, he said he grabs a case of beer or so from the store, heads out to the pier, gets on the ship, and then he's off. He's off on this wild adventure. So start with me about like where the filming was. Where did we capture this? Did you start in Jersey, which is, I think, where he left from? And then did you go, like, what countries did you film in? So like all movies, they, they don't get filmed in sequence. And the first priority that we shot was to get the whole production crew and all the performers and everybody on the ground in Thailand. And at the time, the pandemic posed a fairly big challenge to travel and we were in our rooms for quarantine for a while. So it took two weeks from landing to leave my hotel room. And then we got moved. We filmed all over the country. Uh, again, these are filmed out of sequence. The, the New Jersey stuff was filmed pretty much after Thailand was over. And I wasn't part of that. I was, I was there for the five months in Thailand. Okay. Did you meet Chicky Donahue, before the filming began, did you sit down with him and kind of get his story? No, I did not. No, I did not. But I, I did get uh, a lot of access to everything about Chicky and everybody that worked with him. And uh, Andy was actually my virtual Chicky. Andy Moscato is the guy that did the, the Pat's Blue Ribbon documentary that stimulated the interest in the studios in the first place. Uh, and I spent a lot of time with him. I spent a lot of time with the writers. And uh, we also had experts on set 
that were refugees from the Vietnam War that were helping us get the civilian side of this thing accurate. So that's that's where all the reference touch points came in. Okay. My most important role was making soldiers believable for 1967. And I'm glad you brought up the Paps Blue Ribbon beer ad because I would have known nothing about this book unless I would have seen this little vignette that was made by a PBR released on YouTube. And it was essentially the reunion of John Chicky Donahue and all of the buddies that he brought these beers to. And some of them hadn't seen each other in a long time. And you're looking at these like five or six old men sitting around this table in a bar and they're hooting and laughing. And one of them's like, you crazy bastard, you know. Just, just fallen right back into the twenty somethings that they were decades ago, and I'm so glad that that guy, the producer of that, was with you uh, for filming this. Uh, when you talk about getting the vibe right, getting the you know the attitude right, what made that feeling come across? What was a soldier? What was a guy over there in the '60s supposed to feel like, or how would he how would he be portrayed in order to capture it correctly? Well, these were not the soldiers that I grew up with in my career. These were the soldiers that were still in, and most of them were my instructors and my leaders as, as a young guy in the Army. So that gave me a little bit of a leg up. But the huge difference is uh, we've got an all-volunteer Army now, and everybody that's in the Army, and especially everybody in the Special Operations community, this is a story of folks that were thrown into really, really demanding in close jungle combat against a determined enemy and many of them never asked for it. Their number came up and they were trained and they were sent. Is that why you sort of get a sense sort of a, they're collectively kind of going, this sucks. I don't want to be here. This is just, I can't believe we're doing this. Well, I, I won't pretend to speak for those guys. I can speak for myself, regardless of how you got there. There are going to be moments where you say to yourself, what am I doing here? This is, <laughs> this is really terrible, whether in training or on missions. But yes, I think that's a theme common to every grunt all, all through the history of warfare. And even though I saw no combat, I can speak for E4s categorically myself, having been one, and say that, uh, yeah, we all were a little bit salty about half the things we had to do as an E4. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, let me see. Tell me about some of your favorite scenes or a favorite scene that you filmed. Like what would have been something that really stands out as like, that was a great day on set. Probably the day I was most impressed was one of the scenes we shot the earliest. We were, we were, uh, we were well away from the towns and villages. We were up in the jungle and the art department, and the set guys had recreated uh, a helicopter landing zone and a small fire base with defensive positions. And we put a lot of work into it. Every sandbag's where it belongs. Every radio is period correct. Uh, Constantina wire, everything. But on that day, and if you see the movie, it's a scene where uh, Chicky and his buddy are running back to where his buddy came from in his fighting position. And I was so impressed uh, watching Zach run that over and over and over because they sprinted through this ankle-deep mud and were carrying all their stuff. And I was just waiting for somebody to go down and crash and tumble. And they shot it over and over again. And every time they gave it 100%. And then that scene later on at, at night in that same set, uh, we have we have the Viet Cong do a probe. And then there's a gunfight. Probably my favorite sequence in the movie. So cool. 
Were there any particular scenes or any particular things about the story that you were like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did this? I mean, it sounds to me like the scene you just described was one of those moments, too, where, like, I can't believe a guy would actually go do this. But was there anything else that stands out as just incredibly remarkable and almost like, how did you have the guts to do this? I got through I got through that uh, reaction to the show pretty much before we started, because I had, had worked all the way through the script. I'd worked all the way through the story. I'd seen Andy's documentary. So I had become a little bit immune to, to just how how uh how incredible this thing was so by the time we got to the ground it was just a matter of let's get it right and let's make it let's make it accurate right on uh as we look at some of the cast members uh you know not to do the name dropping but you know there's zach efron uh bill murray as you mentioned um share with me a little bit about like say zach his performance what do you commend him on what do you think was really great about the way he portrayed a chicky donahue i was so impressed I, I mean, I was not familiar with his work after, you know, he was kind of a young guy, uh, a Disney guy, I think. And I didn't really follow his career very closely until right before we got involved in this. And I was I was so impressed at how much he cared, how much passion he put in, the physical demands, and then the just the the heart power it takes to pull off these scenes. And and you see you see the scene in the movie. But every scene you see was probably shot five different times, five different angles. And the repeatability of that fashion was so impressive. He's, he's really, he's really become a, a phenomenal actor. Yeah. And I imagine it's not easy to pull that off too. You have to act, but at the same time, you're in character. You've got to be doing all these physical things. And that's what makes war movies, I think, so fun to watch. We almost forget that there's a layer on top of all the physical stuff going on that is in fact becoming someone else and acting it out. And that's, you know, that's a gift. So that's cool to hear that he captured the chick correctly. Uh, Russell Crowe or, or does any other character stand out as far as like really just being great to watch? Well, speaking of my other favorite parts, uh, I was I was blown away by Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe joined us uh, after we had done a little bit of shooting, and so there was lots of chatter. Russell Crowe's coming. Russell Crowe's coming. <laughs> Everybody got very excited, and he showed up. And when he showed up, he showed up ready to go. And he owned every scene that he did. He was he was intensely interested in getting this guy Coates' story. He was a, a war correspondent who, uh, as I was doing research on him, I came across the black and white photo where he had done a poise exit out of an airplane with a parachute, and he's holding an old-school 35-millimeter reflex wet camera in front of his face, taking a picture of the guy, taking a picture of him as he falls out the door. And, yeah, Russell Crowe was, uh, was just right for that. Oh, that's awesome. Overall, how do you grade the film? What do you think this will say to the American public that watches, that is used to consuming these high-action, high-octane uh, GWAT films? Um, what do you think this will say to you know the movie audience? I think that it's the first time in a very long time where soldiers that were drafted into the Vietnam War didn't forget about bringing their hearts with them and their passion and their... And they're and they're too bond with their buddies. I haven't seen a movie like this. Usually, it's it's a lot more kinetic. It's a lot more of an action film and a lot of cliches about 
soldiers doing things wrong. I think this one just, just nailed it. I think it actually captured this soldier. Yeah, super cool. Glad you guys were able to get some cameras on this one and give it life. You know, my last question about the film is, were you able to capture uh, his interactions with the, with the uh, first cavalry? And how, uh, the one colonel, I remember Chick telling me this during our interview. He was, he was in a tent somewhere and he was trying to figure out how to get to his next place. And he saw the, he saw the guys from the first cavalry, which they're the guys that wear like kind of the cowboy hat looking things in the army and they're the pilots. And, you know, he knew enough to talk to the first cav guy to see if he could hitch a ride. And the officer told him that. You know, he had to ask him why he wants to go there, and then he couldn't tell him. And Chicky was like, if I told you, well, I mean, I can't really tell you. You wouldn't believe me. And the guy just shook his head, and he goes, you spooks are all the same. And he was convinced he was from the CIA, and that's why he couldn't give him any papers, and that's why he couldn't even explain why he had to be at the LZ. Um, Were you able to capture that scene? We captured that scene in a couple different ways. It actually came up two or three times. Not that specific conversation, but... That misunderstanding that he then went ahead and took advantage of and used it uh, to get himself onto aircraft and out into places where even journalists couldn't go. Very cool. Well, I appreciate everything that you've done. Um, any last sort of things you care to share? Anything else about the movie that you care America to know? This movie was well done, and it, and it got soldiers right. And sometimes you watch movies, and uh, and. And as a, as a veteran or a soldier, you, you get frustrated. You know, you see things that are obviously wrong. And uh, they bring us in to do to stop the, the bruised ribs from the wife's elbow when her husband, who's a soldier, won't shut up about everything wrong in the movie. And that's what we do. And uh, I appreciate everything you've done, Colonel. Uh, Special Forces officer uh, in the thick of it there, given, uh, you know, decades to America and freedom. Uh, Thank you for everything. And I'm glad you are one of the guys they chose to, you know, be on set and to make sure they get it right. Because storytelling is important. And these uh, are some of the greatest stories told. And certainly this is the greatest beer run ever. I can honestly say (laughs) I don't think I'd have the guts to do any of this. So I'm so glad that you helped tell the story. Thank you so much, Philip. It was my pleasure. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C., and I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye on Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. 
Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.